Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and this week I'm going to look at the later show trials of the Stalinist period and I want to look at it from the perspectives of two historians, uh, the first being Isaac Deutscher and the second being Timothy Snyder. Now, I want to do this because Obviously, Isaac Deutscher's biography of um, Stalin is one of the kind of the, the great seminal um, accounts of um, the dictator, and told from the perspective of a Trotskyist um, uh, Marxist historian, um, who, whilst writing one of the, uh, the the most important accounts of Stalin's life was obviously coming from a particular ideological perspective. Uh, the other account, a more recent uh, account of um, the show Trials and the Terror in Bloodlands by Timothy Snyder, is given to us by um, a, a revisionist historian um, and somebody who um, has um, very different ideological perspectives um, to Deutscher. And it's interesting how the the two views manage to kind of um highlight different aspects um of uh, or, or come up with different explanations for stalinism because the the show trials and the um terror themselves are such gruesome but such curious phenomena um that really they often defy explanation um the question as to why it is at certain points revolutionary revolutions seem to cannibalize themselves and you can look for examples of this in france in russia and also in china um it is a very pertinent one and it perhaps one of the the more important ideological questions of the 20th century so without further ado let's get started on isaac deutscher so in his um, biography uh, of stalin Deutscher starts off by making a comparison between um, Stalin and Robespierre of the French Revolution. And I read, In the middle 30s begins the most obscure chapter in Stalin's career, the series of purge trials which he destroyed, in which he destroyed nearly the whole old guard of Bolshevism. The period has often been compared with the closing phase of the Jacobin Revolution, the rule of the guillotine in France. 
In many respects, the similarity was indeed so close that some of the chief actors of the drama, as well as many outsiders, were tempted to overlook the differences. In Stalin's, as in Robespierre's Reign of Terror, there was the same macabre quality, the same black hues of irrational cruelty, the same mythological horror that the sight of a revolution devouring its own children never ceases to evoke. Up to a point, even the sequence of events is identical. Robespierre first defeated the Jacobin left, which was led by Ibert and Klutz, and he did so with the help of the Jacobin right, led by Danton. And he destroyed Danton and his associates too. This is obviously a reference towards, firstly, the exiling of Trotsky, and then Stalin's ability to turn on Kamenev and Zinoviev. Then he destroyed Danton with his, his associates too, and secured, for a short time, the undisputed rule his own Jacobin centre faction. We've seen Stalin as the leader of the centre faction in Bolshevism. We've seen him assisted at first by the Bolshevik right in defeating the left and then turning against the right. We've seen him finally as the triumphant leader of his faction in sole possession of power. Now Deutsche goes on to say that the, the differences are that uh, by uh, 1794 um, Robespierre was dead that his revolution ha had ended um, just two years into the really extremely bloody and radical phase of the French Revolution. But the really violent phase, uh, in Deutsch's view, he says, of course, the Civil War is extremely violent, but the, the, um, the really savage phase of the Russian Revolution, or of the, of the, Stalin the, the Stalinist Second Revolution, happens 20 years after the October Revolution, between 1936 and 1938. The Mensheviks, by and large, uh, were able to either leave Russia or they were exiled. Um, the majority of them who uh, reconciled themselves to defeat were fairly content to serve the, um, the Soviet ad administration. Um, they are later disposed of in the terror uh, the uh, Mensheviks, social revolutionaries, people who are, were considered um, former people. These are people who, when the, the terror begins, um, which accompanies the show trials, um, the, these are the, the people who are considered to be the, the revolution's unfinished business. Now, Deutscher argues that um, there was an unspoken agreement uh, against um, the Jacobinism uh, or the uh, ability, the, the inclination of the Jacobins to turn on one another, um, and that the, the Bolsheviks all signed up to this and readily agreed that uh, the one thing which should definitely be avoided was the, the guillotine for each other. And Stalin bore this in mind throughout much of the 1930s, in, in Deutsch's view. Um, and he was um, once even um, somebody who uh, decided to ignore the demands from Kamenev and Zinoviev to um, deal with Trotsky more harshly. Um, he said... We have not agreed with Zinoviev and Kamenev, but because we have known that a policy of chopping off heads is fraught with great dangers, the method of chopping off and bloodletting, and they did demand blood, 
is dangerous and infectious. You chop off one head today, another one tomorrow, still another one on the day after. What it ends up with will be left of the what in the end will be left of the party. Now, if Deutsche can be believed on this, um, then this explains Stalin's decision to exile Trotsky instead of having him executed. However, bear in mind he does have him assassinated eleven years later, so he wasn't completely consistent on that one. One version um, that Deutsche gives about the uh, the causes of the terror was that the Bolsheviks had come to power with a particular uh, programme of uh, construction, of building a socialist society. They were what they were an all a political party who could channel the energies of the revolution into creating a new Soviet Russia. He says, for nearly two decades, Bolshevism resisted, resisted the gods that were athirst. Bolshevism really resisted these violent energies unleashed by the revolution. But when it succumbed to them, its prost uh, prostration was even more frightful than that of Jacobinism. So these energies that were released by the revolution were inherently violent, had been suppressed and burst out later on. Now, I don't buy it. Okay, I am a lot of what Deutsche says. I think is valid, but this is an explanation I think is very weak, um, and I think there are much more convincing explanations. Now, if you were writing about this, don't discount Deutsche completely. It's important when you're looking, when you're perhaps constructing a historical historiographical essay, to look at um, answers that are perhaps incomplete, and say, well, at a certain point in time. Uh, perhaps during the, the mid-1960s, these uh, ideas were prevalent at the time because of the discourses, the, um, uh, the, the, the fashion within history, um, which was, during the 60s, for the most part, Marxism. However, more nuanced answers come later on. Um, just because one part of the, the journey to uh, more sophisticated answers is perhaps questionable. doesn't mean to say we should just ignore it from our essays. Okay, so that's my tip for the day. Now, part of the context um, of the show trials and the gradual um, move towards um, terror during the mid-1930s is firstly the exile of Trotsky. Um, Trotsky was sent to Turkey in 1929 from where he sent various um, underground uh, publications and periodicals, many of them read by Stalin. Um, Stalin took them very seriously. He reminded himself that Lenin had uh, published Iskra in uh, Russia, the revolutionary newspaper, and he credited Iskra, probably incorrectly, credited Iskra with uh, in a big, I'd give it a big role in bringing about the revolution. I would doubt that entirely. Um, but what matters is what Stalin was thinking. Um, obviously, the events of the 1930s um, are really, really key in all of this. Um, the, uh, the likes of Kamenev and Zinoviev, um, who were exiled in around the same uh, time period as Trotsky, are allowed to return from Siberia, very shaken and frightened, 
and subdued by their experience and realising perhaps they made a terrible mistake by not backing Trotsky against Stalin. And this means that you have this, this cowed uh, opposition within the party to Stalin's policies um, such as collectivisation and the first five-year plan. Now, the consequences of collectivisation uh, and the first five-year plan, particularly collectivisation, i.e. the uh, Soviet famines, uh, results in the first major challenge to Stalin's rule by 1934 during the Congress of the Victors. Congress of the Victors is meant to be this showpiece event, uh, cheering Stalin at the successes of the first five-year plan. But what people are really thinking about is the famine that's killed about five million. It could be as many as, as seven. Some Ukrainian historians suggest it's an awful lot more. Um, killed seven million uh, people, uh, in uh, five to seven million, shall we say, uh, within the Ukraine. Um, that This is what is really animating people's thoughts. And it's what makes Stalin feel particularly insecure. Um, many of the conspiracy theories that surround the assassination of Sergei Kirov, the Leningrad party boss, um, so emanate from the events of the Congress of Victors. At the Congress of Victors, Kirov's name is mentioned as a, a possible successor to Stalin. During the elections to the Central Committee, um, there were several hundred negative crosses against Stalin's name from delegates and only three against Kirov's. Now, the, the conspiracy theory is that Stalin saw that, saw Kirov as a uh, rival, and very shortly afterwards had him assassinated. Um, but I think history is actually messier than that. Um, all the evidence points towards the, the fact that Kirov was gunned down by uh, a man who had... Uh, some kinds of uh, resentment, some kind of possible mental health issues. And Stalin appears to be genuinely shocked uh, when he hears of Kirov's assassination. I always liken it to Hitler's uh, genuine surprise when he hears of the Reichstag fire. There's something for both men, consummate actors though they were, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to fake. However, what's true about both of them uh, and in Stalin's case, um, doubly so, is they were both masters of seizing opportunities that events presented to them. And perhaps if there's one thing that distinguishes the uh, consummate politician from most of the rest of us, it's the ability to do that, to seize the moment. It was always Khrushchev's contention that the NKVD, and he said this in the secret speech, had organised the murder, and uh, many historians have been quite right in saying that Stalin certainly profited from it. The extent to which he was the authoriser remains questionable. I'm not sure. doesn't mean to say that uh, he wasn't. I just think that the case hasn't quite been made for that yet. Now, Timothy Snyder uh, in Bloodlands says that there is actually quite a weak connection between uh, the assassination of Kirov and the terror. So conventional thinking has it that when Kirov is bumped off, Stalin uses this as an excuse um, to carry out um, the, the terror. But Timothy Snyder has a, a slightly different hypothesis. He says, well, firstly, Kirov dies in thirty four, and the terror, uh, the Great Terror, doesn't really get going till um, 1936. 
and the uh, so what happens in the um, the meantime and he says well Stalin is building up to something but not from 1934 onwards but from 1933 from the uh, arrival in the Reich Chancellery of Adolf Hitler why well because Stalin Stalin's paranoia um, emanates a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, his paranoia, paranoia is focused on the borders of the Soviet Union. He sees three powers, Germany, Poland and Japan, all of whom have uh, either invaded or defeated um, the, the Soviets in the previous 20 years or invaded or defeated Russia in the previous uh, 20 or so years, uh, and all of whom are, in his view, dangerous counter-revolutionary forces. And the uh, arrival in power of Adolf Hitler a, a, a radical anti-communist who is determined and is an outspoken enemy of the Soviet Union is determined to destroy communism wherever he sees it. This is a signal to Stalin that the world has changed and that um, the porous borders of the Soviet Union have allowed all manner of dangerous anti-revolutionary forces through. Um, there were, by the late 1930s, still many former nobles, um, many former uh, czarist officials, police officers who had gone to ground, who had reinvented themselves as proletarians, who had managed to um, hide, to pass themselves off. Stalin had always believed that the... Um, Soviet famines were really the result of troublemaking Ukrainian peasants who had put themselves in league with the Poles and were uh, looking to separate Ukraine away from Russia and create some sort of Ukrainian nationalist satellite state, the likes of which the Germans had briefly created in 1918. So Stalin saw a continuity between uh, enemies overseas and enemies at home. And when the uh, international uh, climate changed 
In the early 1930s, he became concerned. But from 1936 onwards, when Hitler begins his uh, um, expansionism and revanchism uh, in the Rhineland, in Spain, and then later in Austria and Czechoslovakia, Stalin becomes absolutely convinced that this is uh, a prelude to war against the Soviet Union. Stalin uh, and um, Beria, for example, um, when they met Churchill during the war, was saying things like, you know, it's, it's a damn good job that we did what we did in the 1930s. Can you imagine the mess we'd be in now if we hadn't have dealt with the kulaks, if we hadn't have dealt with all the traitors? And, and so Timothy Snyder makes the point that what the terror was was a rush to secure the Soviet Union. Now, this all sounds like madness to um, anyone looking at it from our perspective. But if you think about it from Stalin's perspective, and we go beyond the kind of the simple accusation of paranoia and go deep into the worldview of a, uh, a Bolshevik revolutionary, um, the view that he and Lenin and the rest of the, um, the the Bolsheviks had was that any revolution, any workers' revolution, would be swiftly followed by bloody counter-revolution. And this was borne out by the Civil War. Not only did white armies fight the Soviets um, from within the Soviet Union, but they also invaded externally the, the British, the French, the Americans and the Japanese and the Czech Legion were all fighting the Bolsheviks on uh, Russian soil in, uh, from 1919 onwards. Now, in the first phase of um, the uh, terror directed towards the party uh, in 1933, um, deportations uh, happened and um, exiling to Siberia. And then, in order to wrong-foot the uh, opposition that Stalin believed existed within the party, people such as Zinoviev and Kamenev were allowed to return, and then they were uh, encouraged to recount or to um, um, to uh, recount their previous views and to um, denounce um, their colleagues, normally people like Trotsky. During this phase as well, up to about 1935, there are hundreds of thousands of expulsions. And expulsions are a kind of death sentence, really. These are the... Um, it's, it's those who are expelled, who uh, their names lie on file. And when it, the, the Great Purge happens, um, it's these uh, people who are arrested first. One of the things, interestingly, about the, the Great Purge if you look in Sheila Fitzpatrick's book, Everyday Stalinism, there's a great explanation of this. The reason why the, the Great Purge radicalises so quickly, and it goes from arresting uh, people who conceivably, in the eyes of the party, could be guilty of something, to arresting people who have absolutely no involvement in anything at all, and accusing them of the most bizarre things and executing them, is because of this system of blat in Russia, of... Um, clientism. It's hard enough to um, exist in Soviet Russia um, on your own or with a family at the best of times. But during the 1930s, periods of unparalleled uh, economic and financial hardship uh, due to the uh, five-year plans make it almost impossible to survive without a patron 
of some sort within government. And there were all sorts of networks of favours, backhanders, um, people who you could contact or bribe or who were your friends or you could sleep with, um, who could ensure that you got an apartment somewhere or you got a, a reasonably good job in the government or you got um, you were able to eat. So clientism, or blat as it's called in Russia, uh, was an absolutely indispensable part of living. Now, when uh, a government official in a housing department is arrested for being a Trotskyite, the first thing they would ask him is, not what have you done, but who do you know? And then he would reel off a list of everybody who he had done favours for, or who had done favours for him. And they would all be arrested. So here's how we go from the... Um, the level of um, uh, official state terror uh, against uh, state victims to this radicalised random um, terror. The other way that it happens is that um, each um, town and city is given quotas and targets to fulfil of executions. Stalin is of the view, because time is running short and a war is coming, that it's better to kill a hundred innocent men and get one guilty one than the other way around, uh, than, than nothing at all. Um, instead, and so they set quotas for arrests and executions, and uh, the um, NKVD are expected to fulfil and actually beat those quotas. Now, on the subject of the trials, the thing that tends to be kind of glazed over, I think, in history textbooks. Um, was that there were there were many 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 hundreds of them really um, a great deal were focused on the lower echelons of the party, the lower echelons of the party being purged in the supposed lull period of nineteen thirty four thirty five, but the the main ones uh, there were of the main ones there are uh, four that need to be kind of mentioned in any history essay on this subject. The, the trial of the 16, which included Zinoviev, Kamenev, uh, Smirnov, Makovsky, um, etc. That was in August 36. Um, the trial of the 17, uh, Pyatikov, um, Radek, Sokolnikov, uh, Muralov and Tukhachevsky, who is the, um, the military figure who um, had been... Uh, accidentally um, denounced by Radek. Um, that trial, the Tukhachevsky trial, trial comes slightly after the 17. Um, and, that, and with Tukhachevsky, um, the uh, begins the, the purge of the army, which is perhaps a, a story for another time, really. Uh, and then the trial of the 21, which includes Rykov, Bukharin, um, Krestinsky, Rakovsky and Yagoda. Uh, Yagoda being um, uh, the um, chief henchman to Stalin before he was uh, replaced by Yezhov. Now, the, the gory details of the trials perhaps aren't the more important part. What is important, I think, is the fact that these clearly absurd claims were being disseminated. And there are two sources of um, interest in how those claims were um, 
received. Firstly, if you look at the um, Stalinist uh, sympathisers in the West, uh, the, the, the likes of Sidney and Beatrice Webb in Great Britain um, and uh, Leon Fulchwanger, um and um, in Germany... These were all people who weren't actually communists themselves, but looked sympathetically on the Stalinist project and saw it as a a good, you know, modernist uh, engage, engagement or good, um, a good modernist project, um, where or a, a serious, a, a perceived wild and backward country was being uh, brought into the twentieth century, if a little bit roughly, but certainly benignly in their view. The extent to which they could rationalise the show trials, that they could look at the um, accusations of sabotage and um, attempts to assassinate Stalin and all this uh, nonsense against the likes of Zinoviev and Bukharin, and say, well, yes, that seems pretty good to me, and well, they must have done something, and Stalin wouldn't be doing this. Uh, we're absolutely sure Stalin wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't strictly necessary. You know, or things like, well, you know, there's been a revolution going on in Russia, and didn't they have to spill a bit of blood in the French Revolution, but France turned out okay. And even Roosevelt was uh, certain that at some point the uh, Soviet Union would emerge into this um, model republic. Once it had got the nastiness out of the way, was was his his view. Um, so there was an, an awful lot of indulgence from overseas, um, and the show trials were broadcast around the world. Um, I say broadcast, they were uh, um, uh, shown around the world in cinemas uh, as newsreels. And... If you look at again the works of Sheila Fitzpatrick, she looks at the um, the reactions of everyday Russians, and they range range from total disbelief um, and a kind of a head scratching confusion as to what on earth the government is doing, to uh, a, an active and almost quite dramatic engagement with this this fantasy that's being presented to them uh, that these these hounds these villains. Uh, should be persecuted for what they have done. Um, the um, popularity of Stalin throughout the uh, 1930s uh, amongst ordinary Russians is, all, is a, a very complex thing to gauge, but you know people who are uh, spending long periods of time um, with, in poor accommodation with um, generally kind of low standards of living invariably uh, aren't too happy about that. So um, this, this mass outpouring of um, sympathy for the leader wasn't necessarily there. But the whilst there were large numbers of Soviet citizens uh, murdered in the purges, as a whole, it's a tiny, tiny percentage. And most um, uh, Soviet citizens um, are aware on some level of what's going on, but they don't encounter it or engage with it directly. When um, people are denounced, they are dangerous and uh, shunned and ignored. But for the most part, most Soviet citizens don't want to know. It's uh, much like Germany and the Holocaust. It's one of these open secrets where people can know if they want, but it's better not to know. 
The other aspect of uh, public engagement um, with the show trials and with the terror is a huge influx of uh, information volunteered from the general public, partly about their neighbours, partly about sometimes even about people they don't know, um, of denunciations. And the Soviet Union becomes this um, radical denunciation culture um, where terror, in a way, has a kind of a grassroots origin. And this is another um, a way in which um, the terror itself radicalises throughout the 1930s. Anyway, I've gone on for far too long, um, so I will leave you there and uh, I will catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. By the way, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this and you want a whole bunch of new free resources, get yourself over to outstandinghistory.com forward slash instant dash access and there's um, my new newsletter there full of useful stuff for history teachers wherever you are. All the best. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.